This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on washing and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Folks, hold your fire. My gosh, let the smoke clear a little bit here. This GOP primary. We're cannibalizing each other, conservatives. We're taking on friendly fire. Look, I expect the candidates to fight this out and to go at it. I expect their supporters to get behind their, their, their candidate and cheer them on and support them. And, but for heaven's sakes, do we have to direct our fire at each other? I'm talking about the base, not the candidates. I say let the best man or woman win. And I'll talk about that later in the program. Here's where I want to start today. Welcome, by the way. A Democrat debate was held. It was more like a minstrel show. It was sponsored by the Congressional Black Caucus, who has already endorsed Mrs. Bill Clinton for president. So how objective did Sanders and O'Malley or, or any of the viewers think this was going to be? That's why I call it, it's a, it was a minstrel show. You know what a minstrel show is? White actors dress in blackface, paint, paint their faces black, and then they go out and act like clowns. That's what these three did, prostrating themselves for black votes. They all face a black vote deficiency, and they know it. So they have to try to improve their, uh, improve their bona fides with the hood, show that they're down for the struggle. It's embarrassing. Not to man, not to mention destructive. So I didn't watch it. I don't believe in wasting my time. Look, in the eyes of the clock, we're all equal. It's one of the few areas in life where we are all equal. The clock doesn't care if you're young or old. It does not care if you're black or white. It does not care if you're male or female. It doesn't care about your social status. We all get 24 hours in a day, and that's it. We cannot buy more time and we can't save any. Once those 24 hours are up, they're gone. So I choose to spend my time wisely. And this would have been a waste of time. But I did get asked on Monday, uh, last Monday, about some of the things that Bernie Sanders had said in terms of the police. So I had to go back and uh, look some things up to see what he had said and you know, so I could comment on them. I found one uh, thing from the Huffington Post here, and I'll read this as to some of the things that Bernie Sanders said, and I'll have some comments on it. It says, Bernie Sanders has four ideas to combat police brutality, but they might not all work. See, there's that term again, police brutality. 
Call the police use of force. If the current president has had trouble himself addressing police brutality concretely, it's very likely President Sanders will have some trouble too. Ask at the NBC minstrel show late Sunday how he'd address problems of police brutality if elected president. Senator Sanders laid out a four-point plan. plan This plan tracks with many of the policy proposals advanced by the Black Lies, L-I-E-S, matter movement. Not all of them, though, are necessarily tasks that would fall within the purview of the federal government or its potential role as chief executive. Quote, this is the responsibility of the U.S. Justice Department to get involved, Sanders said. Whenever anybody in this country is killed while in police custody, that should automatically trigger a U.S. attorney General's investigation. No, it shouldn't. But only a fraction of officer-involved deaths of black men and women occur while they're in custody. Many occur during roadside stops or while police conduct routine work. The Justice Department, as a matter of policy and due to resource constraints, tends to investigate these incidents after, as a last resort and after the state authorities have exhausted their own processes. Up next, Sanders alluded to his past as mayor of Burlington, where he said he worked very closely and well with police officers, who he said were hardworking people just trying to do a difficult job. It was a setup for a second idea that cops should be held to the same standard as all public servants. First of all, cops are held to a higher standard than politicians are. Quote, but let me be clear, if a police officer breaks the law, like any public official, that officer must be held accountable, he said. They are held accountable. But again, as president, there's only so much the Department of Justice can do to prosecute police shootings because bringing criminal civil rights cases against cops is extremely high, the standard, the legal bar, and it should be. Sanders then went on to talk about the demilitarization of police departments so they don't look like occupying armies. And fourthly, he said we have to make our police departments look like the communities they serve in their diversity, Sanders said. How'd that work on Baltimore? The Baltimore Police Department racial makeup, resembles that of the city of Baltimore. Same in New York. How did that work out? They didn't stop anything. First of all, I'm tired of being lectured to by somebody like Bernie Sanders, Mrs. Bill Clinton, or O'Malley about what's best for black people. Senator Sanders lives and represents a state. There's nothing wrong with this state, Vermont. There's a black population of 6,000 people. 1% of the population of the state of Vermont is black. When Sanders is back home in his home state, a black constituent is called a rare sighting. What the heck is he talking about? Why doesn't he encourage more black people to move to Vermont so that the racial makeup is more balanced? 1%? And as for this this uh, militarization of police. You know, it's my belief we have to always have clear lines of distinction in American democracy between peace officers and soldiers in America. We have that. But the American ghetto today resembles more of a war zone than a thriving neighborhood. Did Sanders watch the riots in Ferguson and Baltimore? He wasn't on the ground. The American police officer wasn't. It wasn't until they deployed some of that military equipment that they were able to get those cities back under control. Sanders, every time he speaks, 
It's evident to me he cares more for black criminals than black victims of crime or law-abiding black people. He never mentions black crime victims. He only talks about black criminals, how life is so unfair for them. That is the height of insensitivity. If we want fewer police contacts in the ghetto, then we have to eradicate the modern liberalism that Sanders espouses that has created a black subculture. What's a black subculture? The values of a black subculture? They settle disputes with violence. They intimidate their neighbors with weapons. They take property by force. They fail to embrace education. I'm talking about the black subculture. They engage in other behaviors like fathering children out of wedlock and then leaving. Lifestyle choices like gang involvement, criminality, drug use. All spurred on by modern liberalism. And on Sanders' babble about police need to be held uh, uh, to a higher standard, and when they break the law, they need to be held accountable. What about people like Mrs. Bill Clinton and her passing classified info over her secret server? Is she going to be held accountable? What about former Attorney General Eric Holder, who was held in contempt of Congress, the only United States Attorney General in history to be held in contempt of Congress? He wasn't held accountable. He didn't turn over documents required by law. What about Lois Lerner? She wasn't held accountable. What about the head of the VA? He wasn't held accountable. What is Sanders talking about? It's obvious that that, that Washington public officials seem to be above the law. But he didn't mention that. He only slams the police. Next, we're going to talk about this uh, Obama nomination to the federal bench. David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. Hey, last night we all returned to that day when someone read us a fairy tale bedtime story. It had monsters, conservatives, a utopian kingdom, socialism, a princess, Hillary, (laughs) and a conquering hero, Obama. Problem is, he couldn't promise a happy ending because the ugly princess is maybe going to lose. She could turn out to be the frog. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Did you ever have one of those moments where, I know you have, but just rhetorically asking, you see something and you go, nah, nah, they got to be pulling my leg. There's no way. I don't believe that. No, it couldn't have happened. Well, I had one of those situations this week. The United States Senate GOP controlled, confirmed to the federal bench, a woman who is a racialist. What do I mean by that? She looks at everything through the prism of race. She's a Chief Justice of the Minnesota State Supreme Court. Her name is 
Wilhelmina Wright. She passed Senate confirmation. Uh, the when I say Senate confirmation, I think it was fifty-eight to thirty-six. And she, the nomination was confirmed, given a thumbs up through the Senate Judiciary Committee. It's her responsibility on a voice vote. Yeah, GOP-led Senate Judiciary on a voice vote. That's a coward's way out, first of all. The reason why I think they did this on a voice vote was to provide the GOP some cover. All right. This woman is black, and the Republicans on that committee did not want the label. They didn't want the left to look and say, ah, racist. The reason why you won't pass her nomination on to the full Senate is because she's black. You have this real fear of that. The other thing I don't think they wanted to face was the fact that it's a female. You know, the left comes at them with this war on women. So you got a black female. Deadly combination for the GOP. So she passes on a voice vote. And it moves to the Senate floor. And she's confirmed, elevated to the federal bench, a Barack Obama nominee. Now that in itself should be enough to cause somebody at least some pause. Because we know what kind of jurists he wants to put on the federal court, right? He wants activists. He does not want strict constructionists. He does not want rule of law judges. He wants activists who see the Constitution as some living, breathing, bring it into modern times type document. So let me give you a little history of this woman here. And then you'll see as I I read along here, like you'll see this. What? What did they do? The GOP controlled Congress? This is from the Daily Signal by Philip Wegman. It says, Obama judicial nominee, nominee who accused Reagan of bigotry faces confirmation vote. President Obama's nominee for a federal judgeship in Minnesota accused the Reagan administration of bigotry in her writing for the prestigious UCLA Law Review in 1989. Minnesota Supreme Court Justice Wilhelmina Wright, who is expected to win Senate confirmation to the uh, federal district court in her state next Tuesday, wrote the accusation shortly before graduating Harvard Law School. Remember that she's already been confirmed, okay? Wright accused Chief Justice William Rehnquist and President Reagan of aiding white people who are running and hiding from desegregated public schools. While a third-year law student, Wright wrote about the demographic shift of white families leaving cities for the suburbs. She wrote, Their mad scramble is aided by a chief justice who owned racially restrictive property and a presidential administration that believes bigotry, poverty, and poor educational opportunities for most public school students are the unavoidable fruits of a thriving free market economy. Later in the same law review, but while addressing a different topic, Wright wrote that the sanctity of property and the belief of the hierarchy of races undergrids racism in America. Property rights, she continued, are firmly protected by the words and action of the Constitution. When questioned by the Senate Judiciary Committee about these remarks on property rights, 
Right, so their words required additional context. Oh, yeah, don't they always? Especially on the left. Stressing her inexperience at the time, I would say her racism at the time, Wright said the writing was inartful and made without all of the training and experience that I have now. Yeah, I'd say she's worse today. A zebra doesn't change its stripes. Wright said that she was, quote, owning that I did write those words, but explained that she was addressing racist housing customs in white neighborhoods known as racially restricted covenants. The justice adamantly insisted she supports property rights as a spouse in the Constitution. Well, yeah, she has to now. She's trying to get confirmation. Wright's nomination advanced out of the Judiciary Committee by a voice vote and awaits confirmation on the Senate floor. Senators Al Franken and Amy Klobuchar, both Democrats of Minnesota, have shepherded Wright through the Senate process after recommending her nomination to President Obama last February. Quote, this is more than anything the pivotal moment, Klobuchar told the Minneapolis Star Tribune in December. All expectations are that she will pass. If confirmed, Wright would become the first black judge to sit on the district court in Minnesota. Relatively young at 52, Wright is seen as a possible addition to the Democrat shortlist for nominees to the United States Supreme Court. She has served as a judge at every level of the Minnesota, Minnesota state court system and has more than 25 years of experience. Although ahead by one year, First Lady Michelle Obama attended Harvard Law School at the same time as Wright. I'm proud to nominate Justice Wilhelmina Marie Wright to serve on the United States District Court bench, Obama said in nominating her last April. She has a long and distinguished career of service, and I'm confident she will serve on the federal bench with distinction. Why would the GOP-controlled Senate want to confirm any more judicial nominations for Barack Obama? He's got one year left. He's a lame duck. The way he has slapped the Senate around in the Congress as well, the, the entire Congress, the House and the Senate, GOP controlled, circumventing their authority, calling them racist whenever it serves his purpose, why would they want to confirm this nomination? Their response to Barack Obama should have been, that's it, you're done. No more nominations. We're going to wait for the next president to fill this vacancy. Why do we have to continually capitulate? There's a misunderstanding about the role of the Senate when it comes to judicial nominations. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But it just, it, it, I've had it. I've had it with the GOP. The surrender attitude, give Obama everything he wants. They did it in the omnibus spending. The president said the GOP Congress funded all of my priorities for the rest of my administration. He was happy about that. They just, just continue to not put up any resistance whatsoever, basically for fear of being called racist or misogynist. I don't understand this. Is this why we went to the polls in 2014, the midterm elections, to give 
The GOP controlled the Senate. They asked for it. They said, we'll stop the agenda. This is part of the agenda, stacking the courts with these activist judges. And now we have this one. And I wouldn't doubt that there'll be more to follow. This is one of those moments, like I said, no, 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 you got to be kidding me. This couldn't be right. Well, it's right. And it's true. We're going to get into what the Senate's real role is in the uh, confirmation of federal judges. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Let's go down and play some of the clips of President Obama's speechifying yesterday. I believe in the Second Amendment. It's there written on the paper. <laughs> the paper. <laughs> Mr. President, let me help you out. It's called the Constitution. No, I'm not talking about the Constitution. I'm talking about that, that thing with the yellow crinkly paper. The paper. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. So we have this woman, Minnesota Supreme Court Justice Wilhelmina Wright, who President Obama has nominated to the federal bench. She faces Senate confirmation. And this black racialist, and a black racialist is someone who views everything through the lens of race. That's how they process things. She once made a statement in law school that said, uh, accused President Reagan of aiding white people who were running and hiding from desegregated public schools. She also went on to say that the demographic shift of white families leaving the suburbs was racist. And she said, their mad scramble is aided by a chief justice who owned racially restrictive property in a presidential administration that believes bigotry, poverty, and poor educational opportunities for most public school students are the unavoidable fruits of a thriving free market economy. Now, there's some misunderstanding about the role of the Senate in confirming presidential nominees and appointees. I think we all get it that when it comes to his cabinet, he should get to, you know, within reason, surround himself with people that he wants to work with, okay, people that he knows. I think there should be great deference to that. But here's the the key. When that president is done, those people leave with him. When it comes to the federal bench, the United States Supreme Court, the appellate court, or even the federal uh, uh, circuit court, those people last forever. They're basically lifetime appointments or until they're done. And so I think the role of the Senate becomes different. And I think that the way the, the confirmation process goes should be very stringent. It should be very tough. We're going to have to live with these people for a very long time. And when we make a mistake here, by putting some liberal activist judge on, we've got to live with that forever. And that's kind of how the left views this thing. You know, the left, excuse me, looks at it and says, hey, we can't have some strict constructionists. We can't have some, um, you know, rule of law judge because uh, we'll have to live with that. And so when it comes to federal court nominees, the the role of the Senate has to change. Their mindset has to change. I don't know if they know that. First of all, I don't know why 
the GOP-led Senate. I don't like this voice vote. They took a voice vote on this woman. You know what that does? It hides people. It gives them cover, especially GOP, that they can't be called out for having giving a thumbs up or thumbs down. They don't want to do either. They're afraid. If they give a thumbs down, they're going to be accused of being racist, right? If they give a thumbs up, their base is going to say, what the heck is wrong with you? So they do a voice vote. That's cowardly. But anyway, why would this GOP Senate want to give President Obama anything in this last year? He's a lame duck. Go, leave, nothing, no. Here's where they have control, so to speak, over him. President Obama has stuck a thumb in the eye of the GOP-controlled Congress for a long time now. He bypasses them. He does what he wants. And so we get a situation where now they can play hardball. Why would they want to do this? Out of racial sensitivity? Is that what this is about? They shouldn't give him any. They should tell him no more judicial nominations. None. Zero. We'll wait for the next president. When I came across something that kind of better explains the role of the Senate in this situation, it's from the Daily Signal by Hans von Spakovsky. And he says this, what exactly is the Senate's role of advice and consent when it comes to nominations uh, made by a president? It is a topic of perpetual debate in Washington. One wrong-headed argument holds that the role, to be quite modest, where senators should defer to a presidential choice except in extreme circumstances. That position is advanced far too often by Republicans and almost never by Democrats except when a member of their party is doing the nominating. It has led to some Republican senators to have a policy against filibustering presidential nominees no matter how much a nominee's uh, confirmation may endanger the rule of law and adherence to the constitutional order. The argument for defense, I'm sorry, for deference rests on the idea that the president elected by the people is entitled to exercise his judgment on who should be officers of the executive branch and judges in the judicial branch, particularly since Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution gives the president the power to make those choices. But this claim fails to recognize the important difference between executive and judicial branch nominations and the separation of power doctrine embedded in the Constitution. A strong argument can certainly be made that when it comes to nominees who would serve in the executive branch, the Senate should give deference to the President's choices. Those nominees would be working directly for the President and responsible for implementing his policies and priorities in the branch that he heads. The deference rule for executive branch nominees should not apply, however, to judicial nominees. The judiciary is an entirely separate branch of government, part of the system of checks and balances designed to prevent any one branch of the government from becoming too powerful. Unlike executive branch uh, branch officials, federal judges do not work for the president, neither do they work for Congress. If Congress, specifically the Senate, gives undue deference to a president's judicial nominees, it sees tremendous power to the president to shape and control the judiciary to third branch of government. After all, federal judges have lifetime appointments. They serve long after a president's term ends and long after that president's views, policies, and priorities have been replaced by the views, policies, and priorities of a new president elected by the American people. Our doctrine of separation of powers demands 
that both the legislative and executive branches have a voice in who becomes federal judges with lifetime appointments. Otherwise, giving undue deference gives the executive branch too much power over what is supposed to be an independent, separate part of our federal government. The federal courts and ultimately the Supreme Court of the United States are responsible for interpreting the Constitution and saying what the law is. They decide whether actions of the executive and legislative branches are in accord with the limits imposed on their power by the Constitution. Thus, judicial nominations raise far more questions and involve important issues that extend well beyond the nominee's professional qualifications and judicial temperament. The Senate has an absolute duty to delve deeply into the judicial philosophy of such nominees, like they did here. The Senate must ensure that any nominee's past history and prior statements demonstrate an uncompromising fidelity to the Constitution as written. For senators, this duty doesn't disappear just because a judicial candidate has been nominated by a president of their own party. Giving deference to the president is one of the reasons why Republican senators have approved disastrous picks like former Supreme Court Justice David Souter, a George Herbert Walker Bush appointee. Individuals will not enforce the limits imposed on the power of the government and believe that federal judges have a right to impose their own personal ideology and social view on the people, regardless of what the Constitution or federal law says, should not be confirmed no matter how substantial their professional qualifications are or how much the president agrees with those views. Senators who believe that the president's choice of judicial nominees should be given substantial deference are deeply mistaken. They owe deference to the Constitution, not the president. The importance of preserving the rule of law and adhering to the Constitution is too important for them to continue to hold this manifestly wrong and frankly dangerous view. And I concur wholeheartedly. Again, from the Daily Signal, Hans von Spakovsky. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on wash and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Okay, in the final segment here, we're going to cover a couple of topics. I'm going to touch on this um, GOP presidential primary, some of the latest developments, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about is the country closer to a revolution than ever? 
interesting concept. But let me start with the presidential race. Donald Trump continues to lead, getting closer to Iowa. The caucus, Iowa caucuses, before we get into the first primary in New Hampshire, down into South Carolina, be the first southern state. It'll test uh, the, the, the metal of these individuals in the south, moving to Nevada and then into Super Tuesday and the rest of the country. It's still early. You know, and I get a kick out of just watching these developments as they go on, and everybody thinks that this is the, this is the defining moment. There haven't been any defining moments, not as far as I'm concerned. I just want to give you some thoughts on what's going on outside of the circle of candidates. Those guys want to throw haymakers and punches and barbs and jabs. That's all part of the process. That's not unusual. That'll work itself out. Someone may hurt themselves. Someone may help themselves with uh, their strategy. And like I, I said earlier, I expect that the supporters of these individuals are spirited, believe in your guy, your girl in the case of Carly Fiorina, want to fight for that individual, that's fine. But as I watch the base, the voting base I'm talking about of the GOP, whether it be conservative, Tea Party, moderate, establishment, doesn't matter. It's the GOP base. This, this civil war that's going on, I think it's fighting for the soul of this party, uh, which has to be fought, I believe, uh, to come out of it with an identity. Because currently the GOP has no identity. I don't know what they stand for. I just talked about that with the uh, uh, confirmation of, of an activist judge to the federal bench nominated by Barack Obama that the GOP-controlled Senate Judiciary Committee and then the full Senate voted to confirm. You see what I mean? You know, one of my tenets of being a conservative, it's just mine. You've heard me talk about that before. One of them is I believe in the rule of law. So when it comes to judges, judicial nominations, I want a strict constructionist. Apply the Constitution. Don't make new law. Don't become a super legislate, uh, legislator or legislature. We don't want the, the courts to do that, the judiciary. So what I am concerned about though, is, is that the Civil War, you know, we're, we're, we're taking on friendly fire. I'm watching social media. I'm watching, uh, even outside of that, I'm watching some of the, the cable news, the national news. I'm seeing wars go on with national talk radio. And my only thing is, because I like spirited discourse. You know me, I'm a fighter. All right, I'm a bare-knuckles I'll use brass knuckles if I have to. I'm not afraid to get my knuckles dirty. But one of the reasons why I have to use those tactics is because I don't have all the resources that many of my adversaries uh, in my elections have. Okay, I don't get any big endorsements. I don't get any help from um, special interests. I run a populist campaign. I go to the people, in other words, and, and get the support of the people. And because I can't take on, like, my local newspaper, the electronic local media here, I don't have those resources. I have to use guerrilla tactics. So I don't mind guerrilla-type uh, tactics in political warfare. But this has to be managed. And I don't think that 
we're doing that very well. And I don't think that there's one person that should do it or has to be responsible for it. I think we have to manage ourselves here. In other words, if you're a big supporter of Ted Cruz, you may not like Donald Trump. You may not like Michael Rubio. You may not like some of the others. And vice versa. If you're Donald Trump, you may not like Ted Cruz supporters. You may not like Ted Cruz. You might may not like Marco Rubio. I know Cruz and Rubio have gone at That's okay. And it can get spirited, but it has to be managed. Because in a civil war, in the end, nobody really wins. All right? And our objective right now, our meaning conservatives, we cannot allow Bernie Sanders or Mrs. Bill Clinton to become the next president of the United States. So that's the prize. So I begin to ask, you know, where's this going? Are we going to be able to repair this in the end and get our sights and our crosshairs set back where it should be? And that's on the DNC, the Democrats. That's what I'm concerned about here. I just said concerns. I'm not one of these to tell people to stop. And uh, but But... Just that's why I started out saying, hold your fire. Hold your fire. The process will determine a winner. And then we can, like I said, put our crosshairs on what we're really after, metaphorically speaking, the crosshairs, to take out the Democrats so that they do not continue um, on with the White House. So just some things to think about. As we move forward, I know uh, Sarah Palin got in and uh, endorsed Donald Trump. I don't think that's a seismic shift. I think it's a tremor. I think down the road it may help. It's not a game changer. I don't think it moves the the needle much. I don't know many people that say, I'm voting for X because they were endorsed by so-and-so. That's window dressing, folks. That's all it is. All right, so if you're a Cruz follower, don't dismay it, it doesn't hurt Donald Trump. Some people say it does. I don't think it hurt. I'd rather have Sarah Palin in my camp than on the outside lobbying Molotov cocktails back at my tent. So I think it was a good uh, coup for uh, Donald Trump. So we'll continue to watch this as uh, time goes by. But again, just chill, okay? Chill. we got a long way to go. The first vote has not been cast yet. This thing will work itself out. I want to finish, close out today, article I came across. A guy I know, Pat Cadell. He's a pollster. He's a uh, frequent guest on Fox News uh, with some of his polling, some of the polling he does. And he authored this article, Country Closer to Revolution Than Ever. This is from Breitbart. Veteran pollster Pat Cadell says he agrees with the premise that America today is closer to another revolution than at any time in recent history, adding the strength of this country comes from its people and it has a political system that is run now to the exclusion of its people. You have three quarters of the American people saying the government in Washington does not rule with the consent of the governed. Cadell cited elements of the bill that are uh, still being discovered. And uh, he's talking about this omnibus bill such as the upping of the number of uh, foreign visas. Cadell was referring to a provision that was outrageously slipped into the bill without the knowledge of many lawmakers. He says, by the time you get through this bill, this omnibus package, this disastrous bill, every specialist will have been paid off, said Cadell. Everyone will have done what they wanted to do. The Republicans will have sold everything out to police the oil companies. 
Cadell also chastised Republican presidential candidates for not saying anything about it in a recent debate, expressing his frustration that the issue doesn't seem to be addressed by any candidates. Donald Trump wants to seal his victory. All he has to do is stand up and attack McConnell and Ryan and what they've just done. Cadell also blasted the GOP, saying they think their base is stupid. I believe that. You hear me talk about the Declaration of Independence a lot. It says we have a duty and an obligation to throw off governments that don't meet our needs, don't serve us. A pitchfork and torches moment is what I'm waiting for. Cadell thinks that we're closer than ever. I don't know if we are, but I thought I'd share that with you. Follow me during the week at Sheriff Clark on Twitter, C-L-A-R-K-E, or at the People's Sheriff. Com. God bless you. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio.